Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening, an official podcast where we discuss all things V. I'm your host, Lewis Ryan, and as always, I'm joined by Lars Emerson. Hey, Lewis, how's it going? Good, Lars. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. We're both contributors to thepostwriter.com, where you can listen to this podcast as well as many other podcasts and read many articles about film, TV, music, and politics. So today we're going to be discussing the first part of the sequel miniseries to V, 1983, V, The Final Battle, Part 1, which came out in 1984, May 5th, I believe, so about a year after the original miniseries aired, it came back on NBC. Kenneth Johnson came back to write the miniseries, but ended up leaving due to creative differences. He is credited under a pseudonym. Lillian Weezer. That's funny. I'm, all, I'm curious to hear about these creative differences, but I assume we'll cover that in a later episode. And as you can tell from the opening credits, there's a smorgasbord of writers for this episode, but Lars and I are going to be here discussing it, so I recommend checking that. You can watch all the episodes of V, the classic series, on Amazon Prime Video, iTunes. There's just recently been some Blu-rays in the past couple of years. So there's all sorts of places you can check out V. I really recommend checking it out. And that's why we're here today to discuss it. Listeners of our past episodes may know I'm sort of the V expert having watched these episodes before. Lars is, of course, is pretty much new to the whole franchise. And so Lars checked out Final Battle Part 1 for the first time. So Lars, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about the episode. So why don't you take it away yeah so i liked this one a lot i mean they're all (laughs) they all look the same they all have the same people so uh it's not like a huge difference but i liked this one i would say significantly better than if not part one then definitely part two i feel like you and i were a little down on part two by the time we got done with it uh in our last episode lewis but i think this like falls pretty much in the middle for me it's the third best or it's the second best so far I feel like it's not surprising that it feels the same since it's sort of overall the same production, like pretty much all the cast comes back, looks and feels very similar to the past two parts of the original miniseries we watched. This episode, uh, part one of the final battle, takes place a few months after the events of the original miniseries uh, that we covered in our last two episodes. And it kind of starts sort of abruptly. I was taken off guard. I was like, did I forget something? And and it's it turns out to be a dream that Mike Donovan is having about his son, Sean. They're trying to escape like a visitor's ship and Sean is like killed by the visitors. Then he wakes up and you discover that, you know, Mike Donovan and Juliet, they're all like kind of part of this entrenched resistance. You know, they had sort of a victory, sort of a loss against the visitors at the end of the original miniseries. And they were like, this is going to kick off the war. And so uh, some parts of that resistance and war have been playing out. I think there's kind of three through lines through this episode that we'll unpack. The first is they're looking for a way to like get the war like going to show that the humans can win, right? So they're looking for an event where the humans can have a, a victory over the visitors. And they get wind that the visitors leader, John, uh, will be hosting a major announcement at like the Los Angeles Medical Center. And that's that event. So there's like a plot line there. The second plot line is Robin Maxwell is pregnant with a visitor's child and she's kind of visitorifying her skin is becoming more scaly and she's mulling over getting an abortion and that there's a whole discussion there and then 
I kind of think the third through line is just the reporter character, uh, Christine, who, if you remember from the first two episodes, is she kind of becomes the visitor's spokesman. And that's kind of controversial because she's like a journalist and she's like clearly feeding the party line or the visitor line to Earth. And she and Mike Donovan kind of meet up and Mike eventually like eventually she kind of learns the errors of her way. Um, and so there's that. And you have kind of a parallel story with Mike and his mother who does not learn the errors of her way. So it's kind of a it's a tale of convincing, a tale of like how to make a first strike and a tale of a pregnancy. That's kind of how I would put it. Do you think I missed anything? <laughs> no, yeah, you covered it all. I would say I don't know about you, but I felt like this episode, even though it's similarly 90 minutes as the past two, it moved along pretty briskly. It, it did. It felt like it was over in like 40 minutes for me. But I think that's because I was enjoying it, too. Yeah, no, of course. Which, do you want to talk about it from the lens of each of those three plot lines? How, how do you want to go about this? Yeah, so the big cliffhanger sort of of the original miniseries was Robin's pregnant with Brian, the visitor's child. Creepy, creepy sequences like uh, Robin waking up in the middle of the night to eat red meat. Yeah, she's clearly not not doing so well. I think this may have been my least favorite of the plot lines this episode. I found it more distracting than I did interesting. It, and they try to make it interesting. And it's, it's like early in the episode, they have like this giant group round table on like, should she get an abortion? And everyone's like, no, clearly she should not get an abortion. But Mike Donovan, like super awesome pro choice guys, like she doesn't want this. We're getting it out of her. I, I that was like a scene that I actually appreciated, though I like groaned a little at how just stupid the kind of premise was and how they were how they were like working an abortion thing in here but it's like an alien i i don't know it felt a little i don't know they they did like someone was like think about what this child could mean it's like it could be a bridge between the humans and the visitors and like yes that's a great point but she does not want to go through this that's very clear and then she sees she doesn't actually know what the visitors look like physically, which is going to tie into the other plot here in a second. But um, they find out because they they basically kidnap the Willy. nice vis Willie. Yeah, the kind of sweet foreign, <laughs> like foreign in the earth sense visitor. He's like from Germany or something. Or he was trained in, you know what I mean? He was like trained in German, <laughs> but they transferred him. Oh, yeah. He seems very German. Whatever. He, they like kidnap him and they like rip his skin off. And she, like, sees the scales, and she's like, oh, my God, I don't want this. And she, you know, pretty reasonably, like, freaks out about it. She's like, I want an abortion now. So Juliet and another character, they go to operate on her and try and give her the abortion. But they, it, they can't do it. The fetus will presumably kill her if they try to remove it. And that's that's kind of where that plot ends for the episode i want to say yeah i would say that this plot i mean it's understandable that you wouldn't be that crazy about it because it's more just reminding the audience about the fact that it exists and presumably right. will will pay off in the next two parts to come so two things i guess building off that were number one willie of course played by robert england it's interesting to me how it feels like his role is sort of paying off more here than in part two of the original miniseries. Yeah, I agree. As I said, in the fun facts, Willie was sort of a breakout character, sort of Robert England's big break before First Nightmare on Elm Street, which leads me to my second point, which you and I talked about recently off air, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which similarly 
It involves a plot line with an unwanted baby fetus, namely the reincarnation of Freddy Krueger, which, of course, you would expect them to bring up abortion in that movie, which they do in one line, and then they dismiss it in the next line and it's never addressed again. There's way more discussion about abortion in the part one of this miniseries. Yeah, and I, I guess for the 80s, like, having a discussion like this, I guess, could have been kind of controversial. Like, I feel like Mike Donovan taking, like, such a defiant stance as, like, kind of one man against everyone else who seems pretty convinced that she should go through with this pregnancy she doesn't want. Good for him. Like, I can see how that's kind of courageous. It's very Star Trek. So I guess we'll move on now to the main event of this part, which is the big gala unveiling. Uh, Would you like to elaborate a little bit more about it, Lars? Sure. So, like I said, the Rebels kind of... They know that there's going to be this major announcement at the Los Angeles Medical Center, uh, and John himself, the leader of the visitors, is going to announce something big. And they, the rebels decide that they need to use this event because there's going to be a ton of media coverage to like reveal who the visitors really are to the world so that they can build up their support. So it kind of turns into almost like a, a pre-heist movie at this point, where it's like they're they're you know they're getting the gear. And like the key cards they're going to need and figuring out how they're going to get into the hospital because it's like insanely, (laughs) I'd say well guarded, but it's actually not that well guarded. (laughs) Security is high, as I guess what I'm trying to say. So Mike kind of has these two journeys during this process, Mike Donovan, to help rebels get into the hospital and succeed in their mission. And one of them involves television reporter Christine Walsh, who's kind of the visitor's you know, unofficial spokesman or whatever, because Mike tells her about his son, that his son is trapped on the mothership. And she notices that that a doctor that she knew who like criticizes her, he's like, you're just like a, a, a patsy. Like you just do whatever the government says. And then like, see, like <laughs> minutes later, he's been like mind washed. Doesn't say that. She like starts to kind of catch wind. So she, so Mike kind of successfully convinces her that the visitors may not be who they seem. And then Mike's kind of other plot is he sneaks into his mother's house. Now, remember, his mother is like <laughs> very attracted to the visitors. She loves them. She thinks they're like the best because he needs to get her key card because she's being invi- invited as a guest because she's kind of with a senior visitor. Steven. Right. So he sneaks into the house and eventually so that the team can duplicate her key card. And eventually she like finds him and like ends up like they have this big confrontation. He's like, I don't want like you're, you're lost. Like you, you're bad. And she ends up like firing a gun at him. He's a, he escapes. And so then they work off and it's heist day and they go to the hospital raid. Juliet manages to successfully reveal John's like face he's like a reptile while all the cameras are going and you know there's some other like side parts is like some of them have to make sure that the radio feed doesn't get cut off then diana who's you know kind of the female attractive visitor leader we all know and love is she tells christine it's like you have to go on the air and tell them that this was fake and you know christine has her moment of renewal and reparation and she says this is not a hoax this is like true the visitors are bad and that's sort of where the episode ends juliet gets captured during the heist and then the end of the episode shows that they're trying to brainwash juliet as well and that kind of ties in the other two plots whereas you've got mike's plot to convince these women in his life and the rebellion's plot turns out john's big announcement was like a cure for cancer and 
there's like kind of an implied, which doesn't, <laughs> this lands a little poorly in the year 2021, but there's like kind of an anti-vaccination message. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I'm announcing a vaccine against all cancers. And it's like how they're going to just inject, which, yeah, I mean, I guess if fascists were injecting you, I wouldn't trust it either. But I just, it, I thought it was kind of funny. Christine does not pass the Kaylee McEnany test. <laughs> uh, no, she does not. Um, yeah, I don't think you mentioned that she gets shot and presumably kills. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Christine gets shot. Admittedly, it's pretty hard to portray like what the visitors did was just like completely fake in defense it's kind of disturbing how it's like i guess it like tracks to sort of modern day politics with just like do not believe what you see in here right and they show kind of in the end of the episode too is the visitors have like remade the scene so that it looks not they they have like a real version that they're airing to people and the yeah and the disturbing part is it's just like the audience that's there is being is like applauding yeah, gunpoint. Right. Mike's mom becomes the new uh, propaganda arm for the. <laughs> yeah. No television experience from what I can tell. <laughs> no. Whatever. Yeah. But wasn't the heist just you know like uh, an awesome scene? It is. It's really exciting. It's definitely my favorite part of the episode. And I, this is a bit of a a deep cut, but Mr. Fulton from High School Musical Two, he plays like a hospital guy in this in this episode. <laughs> He's like the guy that knows Juliet. He's the he's the guy that drives the ambulance. That yeah. They try yeah. to escape in <laughs> yeah. and he gets shot. Yeah. And he's only um, in the second high school musical. Right. I like picked up on it immediately. I was like, oh my God. Cool. I, I, I had no idea. I've never seen the three high school musical sequels. There's, there's only two sequels. Well, there's two. Isn't there a fourth one? No. I'm going to look this up. I'm, we're going to make this well, a There's a show tomorrow. now. There's a show now on Disney Plus. But there's High School Musical 2 and 3. There's Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. <laughs> what is that, a straight-to-DVD movie? Yeah, I guess it, it was released on DVD first before it aired on Disney Channel. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, Daniel's bad. <laughs> Daniel's like a really bad guy. And I was thinking about this. He feels like the most realistic character. He feels like the character's... The only character that I would know in real life is I've known people like Daniel, right? Who are just so like, oh my god, how, his like his like snarl and like how happy he is with like his like rapey vibe and how fascist he struts around is like you just you everyone knows people like that. It's just like I hate him. I hate Daniel. He's bad. I, it's gonna it's gonna actually piss me off if he gets like redeemed somehow. I guess. I mean, as it stands now, I guess it would be kind of infuriating. I could see if it's like if he had like a fall where he like right. lost face or dignity he could be redeemed but it it yeah he's definitely not not someone you'd paint in a favorable light at this moment in time there's kind of a funny scene where it's like one of the resistance members plays like someone like hitting on daniel yeah he's <laughs> kind of funny but yeah the whole the whole sequence of them un, unmasking john is just so cool because it just feels like yeah they did it it's like it's done but it no <laughs> It's not. Right. They make Steven look like a fool. That security. <laughs> Do they say that's like they've discovered the location of the rebel base <laughs> at the end of this episode? Star Doesn't... Wars. No, but they, Star... they do say that or something like that. It's like they have discovered the location and they're going there. And I feel like that's also in the conclusion. It's like it's implied something the, they, they <laughs> the visitors are going to strike back. 
Well, they've cap right. They've captured Juliet, and they've discovered the location of the hidden rebel base. Is what I I thought I heard Steven actually say that. I'm just thinking of Sid from Toy Story now. It's like, tell us the location of the rebel base. <laughs> right. Uh, as of this recording, I have not seen Final Battle Part Two, so I, I don't know where it's going. I'm intrigued. Do you want to talk about the conversion process at all? Because it was sort of a, a mystery until before this episode, like what it was. Yeah, I guess I'm still a little unclear. Is they well, put I mean, you in I mean just the tube? sort of the general aesthetic is revealed. They put you in a tube? <laughs> they put you in like a VR room with a a gray suit that from afar kind of makes the person look naked. Yeah, it does. It's like a Tron suit without the lines. It's a heck of a cliffhanger, though. I like forgot that when I watched it the second time, I like forgot that Juliet doesn't manage to get away at the end and that she gets captured. So it's yeah. exciting. It does make me look forward to... <laughs> I need to know what happens in episode two. What's great about this is that it's like a miniseries format. So, you know, there are lots of, like, TV shows that are basically, like, on, like, you know, 22 weeks a year where it's, like, big event. And it's, like, you have all these different characters. But I think what's great about the miniseries is that it allows you to visit all of them in, like, a single installment. But the fact that it's only, like, a three-part miniseries gives the whole thing, like, an arc or a shape. Right. So it doesn't become, like, too unwieldy over, like, oh, we're doing a 22-episode weekly season yeah. So I, I think it, it keeps it, like, laser-focused. It's very enjoyable to watch. I, I agree. I'm looking forward to the next two episodes. I think now might be a good time for us to take a break. Hi, I'm Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we're the hosts of the Post Writers podcast, Watching Mates. It's our podcast in which we explore the trends in film under each post-war presidency and reflect on how presidents and the zeitgeist of the era shaped the movies of their time. Episodes air every two weeks, so be sure to check it out wherever podcasts are found or on thepostwriter.com. Alright everyone, uh, we're back from our break now. So are there any other odds or ends that caught your fancy while watching part one? Um, th there are a few things that I explicitly did not like, which we can cover in our favorite and least favorite parts. I, I liked the more journalistic narrative around Christine, as I thought, like, they focus more on, like, your ethics as a journalist. And, you know, she kind of says, like, I'm just doing my job. She says something to that effect, I think, to the, the doctor who gets brainwashed, right? And just, like, people need to be told the truth, and that's a journalist's job. And I think we've always known that Christine is, like, a sellout, but this is the first episode where they've really, like, you know, they've really talked about how important, like, the press is. And it's the, the last episodes, it's more been like, hey, it's important for you to, like, speak out against stuff early on, and it's, like, it's important for you to, like, you know, question authority. I like they're getting a little more nuanced, or it's, like, it's important for you to, like, support you know free speech and free media that's like important absolutely that is the cornerstone of a democracy right there questioning authority and telling the truth did you have any other odds or ends while we're on the christine note there's a horse chase in this episode <laughs> and as you may recall dear listeners lewis and i griped a lot about the, the like sh the spaceship 
shuttle chase that goes on for like 20 minutes in the last episode. And this horse race does not go on for that long. But it reminded me that that shuttle chase happened. And I thought it was funny. To be fair, there were no horse races in Star Wars. So this is a <laughs> a plus in V's favor. That's kind of an interesting location. It, it to is. Meet. Let's, let's meet on horses. Right. In the woods. Where did Mike Donovan get a horse? I have a lot of questions. The, the horse store. <laughs> but can't he not go into, like, stores? Whatever. I have questions about that. Where did she get a horse? What's happening? Aren't they supposed to be in L.A.? What's happening? Stables in L.A., I presume. Yeah, but you have to get in a car. And aren't the visitors? Don't they? Don't they show the visitors having checkpoints if you're trying to leave the city? Because that happens to the Maxwell family, right? Maybe they're on a Hollywood set. <laughs> Maybe one of the actors was just legit saddle rider, and they just decided to incorporate that into the script. Right. I mean, I guess it added something new. A horse being chased by a spaceship isn't something you see in every day. I thought it was a little... Were, were the visitors on horses? Because they, they were being chased, right? Well, there's a shuttle chasing them, and I want to say there were some guys... Right, from the sky. On, on foot, yeah. Maybe it was like a Native American metaphor sort of thing. Like Return of the Jedi and like Avatar, sort of. It's like Native ah. American metaphor against American military metaphor. Right. It could be. It didn't seem that well thought out, but it could be. <laughs> I was going to bring up the new characters introduced in this episode. We've got two that spring to my mind. One is the priest's father character in The Resistance. I thought he made kind of an impression, on me at least. He has one line where it's, where it's like he's explaining like how to use grenades or something, and someone asks him, like, how'd you, where'd you learn how to do that? And it's like, it's like with the freedom fighters in South America or something. I thought that was kind of a cool line because he's like a priest who's not afraid to, you know, get in on the action. I really only remember his role in the abortion table fight. And I thought it was interesting because you would assume that he would just be against abortion on like religious grounds, but he makes a very science and rational based argument for making making Robin go through with the pregnancy, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm glad it's like he's a priest with like more good morals, but he's not also like, you know, religious zealot. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to have a more nuanced view of his religion, which I, I believe he's I believe he's Catholic. Yeah. I mean, he wears like a priest collar the yeah. whole time. So, yeah, I would assume. The other new character who isn't in it for a whole lot is the character of the the forager that is introduced to duplicate the key cards at the end. Not really notable for any specific reason, other than he's played by Dick Miller, which people might recognize from the Gremlins films directed by Joe Dante. Many, many Roger Corman movies. So it's interesting. I think he's supposed to be in the next two parts, so I don't know if there's going to be more of him, but I, I I'm excited. It was sort of a thing where I'm like, I know who that is. And then I was like, it's Dick Miller, isn't it? And then I looked it up and I was like, I was going to be like really upset if it wasn't him. So, but it, it is, it is Dick Miller playing the forger. He's not in that scene, but he gets an interesting introduction through dialogue where it's like the Elias and the cop character in the resistance. And it's like, yeah, you're a cop and you're a street hood between the two of you. You can come up with the best forger in right. Los Angeles. It was an interesting piece of dialogue i don't think i'd quite ever heard anything like that before <laughs> yeah well and then isn't elias like we could do dan pascal is his name and he's like 
or or is the cop he's like god i don't even think dan pascal's still alive and Elias is like you want to go to dan pascal or it's like something like that or maybe i have it reversed but they both like kind of think of the same guy i thought that was funny it's an interesting exchange it's great like i like because i mentioned that line that the cop and elias have at the end of uh part one at the end of the action it's a great that you have these characters from like two different sorts of backgrounds who might be on the opposite sides of things and now they're sort of like working together on the same side it leads to all sorts of like interesting dialogue and stuff so kudos to the writing team for <laughs> finding interesting ways to write uh clever dialogue all right so i guess that is it for our uh, in-depth discussion of the final battle part one lars would you recommend this episode i feel like it's it's worse than part one but it's better than part two it's straight in the middle for me right now uh, if I were to describe my feelings sort of it, it's like at part in part two, I was sort of it was feeling a little wobbly combining the reality of situation with the political metaphor they were trying to convey in part one. But I feel like the final battle sort of establishes a nice new framework of like these are people in the reality. The visitors are aliens and they're doing this and this is how they're fighting back. So I feel like it did a very good job establishing the science fiction reality of the show. Yeah, I think having the like several month time jump helps. Because, you know, the, the time skip between part one and part two is hazy at best. It feels like it's a week, but it also could be like an hour or like a few months. It's kind of confusing, whereas this, there's kind of a more clear time skip because of dialogue and because of Robin's pregnancy. Um, so I think that like helps it is you understand that the visitors are more entrenched and you understand that like the rebellion is like a thing and that they're like doing these small little attacks did you have anything to say about the new music? Because I know you like music and all in movies and TV. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to say. I don't actually think I noticed it. Oh, I noticed it like right away. It's like an African sort of drum beat now. It reminds me of Halo a bit. Uh, so Lars, what was your low light for the episode? What was your least favorite part? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know that I loved the abortion subplot, but I, that probably isn't it. I, I think I'd have to say... Kind of at the end of the episode. So my favorite part is definitely like, you know, the 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 sneaking in and the big reveal at the hospital. But I think my least favorite part comes like right after that, where it's like Juliet gets captured or she's like trapped. And like Donovan, he keeps going like, I got to get her back. And he keeps like trying. Um, I just thought they kind of like overdid that because um, there's clearly like a budding romance between the two of them. And I guess they're trying to sell that because another theme throughout this episode was kind of like you have you can't let like one man bring down the mission. It's like we have to like if someone gets stuck, we have to leave them behind. It's not worth it for the safety of the entire resistance. Right. And this is all lost on Mike by this point in the episode. And I just thought they kind of overdid it. It was like I kind of wish it was like the more time he wasted, the less believable it came for me so I, I think that may have been my least favorite yes i agree with you that the romance is being a little shoehorned which is a shame because i do feel like mark singer and the actress who plays juliet do have chemistry it's just unfortunate because they've in the time we've already watched the show they've they had to spend a lot of screen time apart so you you we don't really get to see a lot of them together but it right. is a little overplayed oh i guess my low light is sort of related to like the lack of security there's a lot of commotion in the episode about getting a pass to get into the gala event and it seems like they're focused on just getting like one pass but it seems like once they get that pass and then juliet walks in but it seems like everyone else in the resistance is there yeah and i'm i find it hard to believe that they don't 
recognize any of these people either. I agree. I, they really oversell like how secure this thing is. And I get it's supposed to be like a metaphor for like overconfidence and how like, you know, overconfidence is often the downfall of, you know, authoritarian regimes, non-authoritarian regimes for that matter. But <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was like a little, they overdid the confidence and underdid the, the uh, reality. All right. So those are our lowlights. Lars, what was your highlight? Yeah, like I said, I think the reveal at the hospital and like those kind of moments at the climax of the episode are definitely the best. Where it's like Christine, you know, she gets her gumption and she stands up to the man and, you know, they do it. They pull it off and they show John's face to the world for who he really is, a lizard person. <laughs> it's just very exciting. And, you know, they spent the kind of the whole episode working up to it and building the suspense for that moment. And I think they more or less landed it. Uh, agreed. And just for the sake of being different, I'll pick Willie being captured and his reveal as an alien is sort of my highlight of the episode, just because I think that was an awesome scene. Because it is like we do like Willie as a character, yeah. but it is like he is the enemy and using him to sort of like reveal that was, I thought, interesting, interesting writing. Certainly more being done with Willie than in the uh, last installment. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that part was good. And it gives you Robin's kind of very dramatic change of heart. Oh, that was another thing. Maybe I should have picked that as my low light. <laughs> the baby being tied to her heart. This baby's a bomb. <laughs> yeah. It's going to explode. If we... Yeah, I don't really get that. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it has happened, right? I don't know. This ba- I, we have the, to... An alien pregnancy? No. No. I... <laughs> We can't remove the baby without killing the mother. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think we both really enjoyed it. So, you know, everyone listening, feel free to feel free to check it out. Indeed, Lars. Well said. Everyone should check it out and join us again for our next two episodes where we discuss the remaining parts. Uh, before we go, I guess we should uh, give out some contact information. Lars, uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at... Lars Emerson. And I'm on Letterboxd as well. And you can get in touch with me through my Twitter account at the Lewis Ryan. As I said at the top, we are both contributors for the postwriter.com where a bunch of articles and podcasts can be found on all different sorts of subjects. So check that out. And feel free to send Lars and me uh, any questions or thoughts you have about V to our email contacts at the postwriter.com. We Really look forward to hearing any thoughts you all may have. And we very much enjoy being able to read some stuff on the air um, and give our thoughts on your thoughts on V. Yeah, you can also follow The Post Writer on Twitter at The Post Writer. And you can check out everything we've written at thepostwriter.com. All right, Lars, I, I think we covered it. So until next time, I'm Lewis Ryan. And I am Lars Emerson. All right, and we hope to see you guys again real soon. Thanks for listening.